1: Hey, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show of Talk Radio Thrive by I'm Dr. Pat. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. I'm really excited about this show today. So, you know, in the last show, um, we talked about symbolism and we talked about different things and signs that show up in our lives. And, and what I didn't talk about, I was saving for this show. And the reason I was saving it for this show is because I want you to hear it from somebody that doesn't just talk about how to connect the dots in life. But how to live them. We're going to be talking with Jan Phillips about still on fire, field notes from a queer mystic. Now, what does that mean? It means so much, but it means even more than that. What it means is that in this life, we get an enormous opportunity to show up as our authentic selves. And that word is thrown around like a lot, like authenticity, authentic. Everybody on the planet knows what it feels like when you're showing up as somebody you're not. You know what it feels like, right? If you do it long enough, what happens is what? You get depressed. You end up really doing things in life that are just not filling your soul, right? If you're like my mom, life gets to be really, really hard and you take your life. But the point is you get it. You understand that you are on a journey. And that journey is gonna give you an opportunity at every turn, every crack, every crevice to either deny the truth of who you are or stand tall and honor the truth of who you are. That's what today's about. That's what this book's about. That's what the world right now is inviting all of us to do because silence is deafening. It is so deafening. And yet at the same time, how, how, did, how have we learned it? Have we learned? how to do this. That's why I love Still on Fire, because I love what Jan is doing. See, this is a reminder of us, right, to look at how we grew up, what our religious underpinnings were, what has wounded us, and what does spiritual healing, forgiveness, gratitude, social activism, if you're her, if you're me, what does that do to remind us that we are truly alive? Today, You're gonna take this journey with us. You're gonna take the journey from the beginning. What does it mean to be a queer mystic? What does it even mean, right? To be able to even say that in today's world. It is a far cry from the times I shared growing up in New York and Stonewall. But is it really? Jen, great to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm just happy as heck to be here. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about some stuff. Good. Okay, I want to start out with this. Uh I was six or seven years old and I did something unconscious about unconscious about I don't know whatever the word is. I did something in a Catholic boarding school that got me expelled. Uh Oh yeah. (laughs) It's the good news actually. Oh. But, but let's talk about our early our early experiences with religion, with what we come to be groomed, right? Sometimes not by choice. And you know that's where you start the book, you come out of the book and you talk about things. But you also remind us that the kingdom of heaven is all around us. Isn't this paradoxical?
2: Isn't this what? Paradoxical. Paradoxical. Oh, my. Oh, my. Because we live in a world of duality. And what we know is in the real reality of the supreme reality, everything's one. Right. So to tease apart the dualities, to be aware always that there's two sides, that's a good thing. And then for us to be able to transcend that. But Catholicism, I don't know how about the other religions, how they install it, but Catholicism gets installed like a software program. I find out later that it's corrupt software because it doesn't have room for me in it. Right? Right. It just banishes the homosexuals and queers and God knows who else. But... I took out hook, line, and sinker because it fed all my senses. The music was beautiful, the incense, the vestments, the rituals. Catholics do that in spades. And so we get captivated by the spiritual trappings. And by the mist, I mean, they put out mysteries and mystical truths like they're going out of style right? Assumption of Mary into heaven, Jesus resurrecting from the dead, virgin birth, God help us. All these things which could not possibly happen, they say, oh yeah, these happen because we're Catholic and we're the lucky ones and we're the one true faith. So a person has to really apply some spiritual intelligence as an adult and and reckon with, is this a faith are these doctrines and dogmas something that's meaningful to me or, or something that's not. And so for me, no, they're not meaningful. I appreciate from my youth that I was introduced to the great mysteries, but that religion it banished me. I'll tell you what, I couldn't get absolution from my confessor as long as I, continue to live a gay life. So it's dangerous and harmful to so many people.
1: And let's talk about the danger and harmfulness, because we now know religion or non-religion, the guilt, the shame, and the disconnection from humanity that people in the LGBTQ AI community, people that know who they are and are faced with not accepted, not accepted, not accepted. You're different. You're not enough. You're different. You're not enough. And this is a resounding message across the board, which is also fueled by the very tenets of religion
2: everywhere. It's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. It's the, the basis of it, whether you're in the Middle East, it's, it's Islam, mm-hmm. whether you're in Africa, it's Protestant and Catholic missionaries that have gone over there and colonized those mines, and they're actually killing more gays than anyone else that I know of. Africa is a terrible place to try and live out life as a queer person you're very apt to get murdered and the same in the middle east right so and that's why and tortured,
1: that's, and tortured.
2: Why gay, that's why gay teenagers are so mm. at risk right now that you know they're four times more likely to commit suicide than mm. a little straight kid because we I know you sense it coming in it's like in the air we breathe is homophobic particles mm-hmm. And let's
1: talk about this, because you and I both share something in common. We've been saved. And I don't mean saved religiously, but saved by another person who understood sort of a part of our journey, who had a sense of who we were and saved us from the ultimate action uh, of taking a life or taking our own lives, right? And, you know, when we think about that, it shapes us. What, What happened to you? What was the path you went on? That somebody saw your pain and reached out and gave
2: you a hand. Well, I was sick. I was 12 when I became suicidal because that was the early reckoning as we advanced Mm. towards puberty and finally figure out, Oh my God, I fall in love with girls. (laughs) I knew that was bad news. So I decided I should take my own life because everywhere you look, there's no safe place. The church thinks gays are bad. The whole culture does. Families do. It's everywhere you look, there's nobody saying, you're okay, honey. So I'm in sixth grade, depressed as all get out, walking with my head down, considering how am I going to kill myself? and my nun sister Helen Charles thinks something's wrong with me and she's going to figure it out and save my life which I don't know that she figured it out but she called my mom and said we're going to try this thing on your daughter it's called positive reinforcement and uh my mom wasn't all that enthusiastic because she was one of 14 kids, and you don't want to pick one out and you know, put all this praise and affirmation in their path. But the nun did it in spades over and over every day. Oh Jam, what a great athlete you are. You're what a you're so bright. You're like you're such a good poet, you're a great artist, all this and that. First I thought she was crazy but she kept doing it, doing it, doing it. And so I don't know how long it took. Let's just say a month, a month in, I woke up one day and it had happened. That sad, sick little caterpillar had turned into a butterfly Mm -hmm. because of Sister Helen Charles. And that was a day I decided to be a nun because it was like when I connected the dots, how come now I realize I'm beautiful, I'm intelligent, I'm a leader, I'm a strong person, I'm okay. It's because of Sister Helen Charles. What's the thing about her? I don't know. They must have a magic wand underneath that habit. But I'm <laughs> going to be one because nuns save kids' lives. So I had yeah. to wait for six years because I was 12 and at 18, I entered the convent. But the good news is at 18, I entered the conference. The bad news was I was still queer. So that could not work in there because we know, what do we do? What do women do at age 18? We we explore our sexuality, yeah. begin to want to be touched and embraced. Yeah. We want to understand the mystery of, you know, sexual relationships. Yeah. So, yeah. It, biologically, I couldn't help myself, right? So, of course, I fell in love with the novice right off the bat. And um, and in the convent, that doesn't work. They have all these schemes. You have to read the book in order to see how weird they got and why I was forced into somebody's bedroom because my superiors were so, I don't know, short-sighted. But I think they actually escalated. Yeah, I was going to
1: say... Yeah, after reading it, I was gonna say, yeah, like the opposite, like happened right there. Exactly.
2: Right? You can no longer see this novice. You can't look at her if you pass <laughs> her in the hall, keep custody of the eyes, only look from her knees down. It was like, are you kidding me? Never go into her bedroom, never talk. It was like, oh, man, I got to yeah. figure out my way around this.
1: Well, absence makes the heart grow fonder. But even more so, you know, when we're talking about this, you, you say this several times in the book in different ways. You know, these practices, these principles are really archaic in so many ways. And, you know, I was talking the other day, I was doing a show on racism, and I was, I, we were just talking, and I said, you know, It's really interesting, the fascination of where we are today. And I made a comment that I got a bunch of emails about. And I said something like, there are multiple generations that don't know what it's like not to have freedom. Multiple generations of women, I only talked about women, that don't quite understand or haven't quite experienced yet. What it's like to walk into a room and have your boss start at every meeting with a dirty joke, or walk into a room and have somebody put something on your desk because you're part of the gay community, or worse than that, do something horrific to you, or live in fear every time you walk down your neighborhood, right? You know, you have the potential of having a Matthew Shepard experience or have never had to stand and say, I'm sitting in a bar that you've just invaded and you are not gonna handcuff me and put me in your paddy wagon. You're not going to do that. On the other hand, you know we have generations now that have come forward and said, we're gonna fight for the right to do this. But part of this is understanding the spiritual journey as you've described in the book. Because I think we have the illusion that the fight is over, but your book says still on fire. What fires you up every day?
2: Well, two things. One, from the inside, I get fired up in a very positive way in my spiritual practice. I start out every morning, get up, light the candle, my cup of coffee right on the bedstand. You have to reimagine the divine every day, because our brains have been so wired by the culture, that the default mode is God is outside us. So I'm rewiring my brain, but I do it every single day. And I claim and profess that God is the oxygen in my blood, God is the air in my lungs. God is the air that I breathe. And so I don't have any image any longer of the the Sistine Chapel image where there's two men, of course, God and Adam. I, I think they should cover that Sistine Chapel with mirrors. People seeking God should only see themselves. So that fires me up in the morning because sometimes it's like having an invisible dance partner. But... I am so in love with that. It's like my creative collaborator, right? Mm -hmm. Greater than me, but still I am that. It is me. We are one. So what we're creating in the world is positive, light-filled, and passionate. So I'm on fire about that in a positive way. And then after my... After my practice is over, then I go to my email and read the news. So I get CNN (laughs) headlines, you know, I get all the headlines. And now I'm in fire for other reasons. Right. Right. And we have to identify there's so many travesties occurring. We have to identify which one is it, which one has my name on it. Because if you're in a room with five people and you say, what crisis, What global crisis is most breaking your heart open? You know, someone's gonna say puppy mills. Someone will say whales. Someone will say the plastic in the ocean, right? I might say rainforest. The other day I said rainforest. It was in my prayer time. I just said rainforest. And usually I try to figure out before I get out of bed every day, What am I going to do that's going to be of service? Because I offer my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. I I offer my service. I want to use my body in the service of something good. So when I considered, oh, my heavens, if it's the rainforest, what am I going to do? And I was in a quandary about that because, you know, I live in a border town. I'm in San Diego. So easy when you say the crisis is the migrants and right. Jewish, Jewish Family Services has a program where I volunteer and drive migrants to the airport, blah, 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 that's an easy connect. But the rainforest was like, oh, man, that's really troubling me because they're burning mm-hmm. down the Amazon rainforest to make room for cattle for our burgers. It's just a travesty. Yeah. And so I didn't know what I closed out my prayers. I open up my email, and the first email in my box is from Rainforest Alliance. I go, "Oh!" <laughs> to my prayers, and I just donated twenty-five bucks. You know, so we pretty much how we project our thoughts and intentions and desires outward causes the universe to bring things in our path that are responsive to that. That's like the dance that we're in.
1: I love it. And I love the dance that you invite us to in the book. First of all, thank you for sharing your journey and your story. Because, you know, I've been doing this for 18 years. Very accidentally dialed a phone number, paid for a a lot of money for an hour of airtime back in 2003 on the internet. And I never looked back. And in 2009 and 10, started the Transformation Network and Transformation Talk Radio, which you're on. Never looked back. But underneath all of that was a lifetime of what you write in your book. And uh, I was struck by a couple things. There are a couple of images in the book. I just, I, I had to laugh a little bit. And, the, and I, I don't remember, I don't remember what year the, the photo was from in the book. Um, it's the one, the photo you took, and it's the one that says homosexual agenda. And it says, spend time with the family, be treated equally, by milk. Yeah, and I looked at that. And I thought for a minute. This is going to sound odd. How has the gay and let me just call it the gay movement, yeah for lack of spelling out all the letters, but how has this movement succeeded where others have failed? And I said that the other day and people were like, no, it didn't. I said, understand what I'm saying. I didn't say we are there. I'm not saying we got there yet. You know, it's the question, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. But what is it that has happened to turn things around in my lifetime that I never thought I would see from the moment I heard Gloria Steinem in a protest rally Uh, just arguing with the once now organization and making the statement, we are just Gloria with the big glasses. We are all lesbians. What? And I got to interview her later. But when I saw this sign, I had to reflect today on what happened to move the dial as quickly as it moved. And I'm not saying we didn't take one step forward and two step backs. Yep. But for you and I to be doing a show and talking about exactly what we're talking about and talking about it unapologetically. Yeah. And for you to share your story has to be foundational cement for what we need to build.
2: Right. Yes. You know, people started coming out big time. That happened. When Gloria Steinem first took the stage and now was founded by Betty Friedan, they called us, lesbians, the lavender menace, and they implored us to not show up as gay women. Totally. The lavender menace. But lesbians did not do that. We did not behave, and we took our places at the table as lesbians, and that did not hinder the movement. I, don't rec- I didn't recall Gloria Steinem said we're all lesbians. I- yeah,
1: that was her response when the National Organization of Women didn't want lesbians to join.
2: <laughs> Good for her
1: like what were we going to do have to sign an affidavit but you know the question for me is in the underpinnings of really staying staying the course and what i love about the conversation in your book is we're talking about not trading in our spiritual journey because of what somebody else says what somebody else does what laws get passed what laws don't get passed but finding our spiritual home and you know for me I can, every time I do a talk on spirituality, I invite, I I refer to myself, my life as a spiritual hitchhiker. That's me.
2: That's a good one.
1: I, I couldn't find my place. But this book and what you're writing gives us reason not to give
2: up. Well, recall, I was 20 years spiritually homeless. i get excommunicated in 1969 in 1989 my psychic nun friend says jan your life can never work if you don't have a spiritual practice it can be ordinary but it can never be extraordinary you can never fulfill the reason you came to earth if you do not have a spiritual practice so 20 years of nothing but kind of rage I'd say rage anger disillusion disenchantment about all things religion just not even on my radar you know did pagan ceremonies with witches you know for lack of anything else and When I started my spiritual practice, that was the first time it started happening to me that I felt like a satellite dish to supreme intelligence. Yeah. It says, you know, Emily Dickinson has this great line. The only news I get is bulletins all day from immortality. And when I read that, I thought, oh, Emily, she's a mystic. She takes her bulletins from immortality all day and transforms them into 13,000 poems. She's agoraphobic. She's scared, afraid to even go out of her bedroom practically. But she creates, she writes like in a torrent and she creates beautiful, mysterious poetry. And so for me, every day, I sit there with my hands like this saying i'm your satellite dish i'm receiving you speak to me hello i'm taking the call this is our time you know it's not like that hour out of the day is the only time i'm getting pelleted penetrated by thought from mind at large that happens 24 7. But tuning in is the essential ingredient. So if you do not, imagine this, you fall madly in love with somebody and that person calls you and says, we're so madly in love, I can't wait to see you. When can we have our powwow? And you say, sorry, I don't have time. It's just like, what? That doesn't make any sense. If you're truly in love with someone, you make time. Right. People say to me all the time, I don't have time to meditate. And I'm like, oh, I don't have time to talk to you. (laughs) Who's in charge of your time? That's what I want to know. Time is all we have. We're born. We have time. We die. So if you give your time to somebody else, if you let somebody else determine what you're going to do, well, God help you. Yeah,
1: I got to tell you, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to jump right to the 100th monkey. Um, Because, you know, there's so much to speak with you about. Because the life, the story, the journey, the service, the pilgrimage, there is a level of life's path that you demonstrate and show in this book. I mean, there are many, many things that people can say about it. but still on fire is a message for where we're living in now. It is a time we're living in now. I have started an informal survey. And every time I mention it, everybody on my team, their eyes roll. They're like, here, she's going to bring it up again. She's just going to talk about it again. And I started a survey. And I asked women that I talked to, I say, look, before we even talk, I got one question for you. Are you aware that the government had the opportunity to give you equal pay? Are you aware of that? I don't hear anything, pin drops. I said, are you aware that the government also denied that you have equal pay about two months ago? And you can hear a pin drop. When we come back, the question is, when you are seeing now from the the heart, the soul of my very special guest today, when you are in that moment, when you are still on fire, And you're reading Field Notes from a Queer Mystic by Jan Phillips, my very special guest. When you hear Still on Fire, are you willing to move in the yes direction? Because when you don't have time to meditate, you're really saying, I don't really believe in that. When we come back, what's your hundredth monkey? What is your hundredth? Fill in the blanks on your own. Because where we are right now, this is not a time for everybody to go to sleep. Nope it's not all good. It's not all bad, but it's certainly more than that. Where can you plant your spiritual connection and let it grow? We're going to take a short break. Everybody we will be right back.
0: Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one? who's in early recovery or battling addiction. Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, certified life and recovery coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com And click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
1: Is your life stressful and unfulfilling? Would you like to make changes, but you don't know how? Hi, I'm Dr. Pat. I'm the host of The Dr. Pat Show. I'd like to recommend The Neptie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. This is a memoir with questions to help you change your story and live a life that's more pleasing to you. For more information or to purchase this fabulous book, please go to TransformationTalkRadio.com or go to CarlGreer.com. We figured by the time we turned 50, we kind of had life figured out. But we were not prepared for the realities of midlife. Tune in to And That's When I Realized The Truth and Comedy of Midlife with me, Susan Dolce. And me, Leon Dyer, every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You're not alone in these challenges, and sometimes you just gotta laugh. Find us at SusanDolce.com and LeonDyer.com.
0: Want to ignite your best life full of joy, passion, and purpose? Then join me, Stephanie James, for The Spark, Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock Eastern, on TransformationTalkRadio.com and learn how together we can illuminate the world. Learn more on StephanieJames.World. The best is yet to come.
2: Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack, and yes, our office is open and we are doing strictly phone consultations. If you would like to call and get tuned up, it's perfect time with everything that's going on and things aren't calming down, pick up the phone and give us a call. It's quick and easy and it's fun. If you'd like more information on it, you can look at MaryJaneMack.com or call our office at 888-777-4232.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Unity Books has brought us still on fire. Field Notes from a Queer Mystic, Jan Phillips, my very special guest today. Um, I also want everybody to know that if you want to find out more uh, about Jan, we're going to make sure you do that. If you want to get a copy of the book, we're going to make sure you do that as well. And so for those of you tuning in, let me just say this. you can go to janphillips.com. That's Jan J A N Phillips with an S.com. And you're going to be able to take a look at more than just the book. You're going to be able to really see a life purposeful passion and what it means to be somebody that took these early life experiences and never really looked back, except to write about it. You know, when you think about her 11 award winning books, A Thought Leader, connecting all the dots of spiritual intelligence by sharing her own personal story but also a personal story that allows us to understand that we are not alone when we take this journey. We're not alone when we feel left out or not included. We're not alone. And no matter how hard we try, unless somehow you choose to change yourself, which is close to impossible to do and what we're talking about today. You have to find a way to heal. You have to find a way to peace. You know, you have to find a way, dot, 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 fill in the blank. That's what this book is about. That's also what Jan's book and work is about. You know, her books have been endorsed by pretty much all the people you know and you've heard on the show. But this book in particular is a book for our time. And the reason I say that, Jan, that this is a book for our time is it has to do with what I shared with you during the break. It has to do with us not talking about what the journey has been like, what has been fought for, what is at risk of losing, and what the path of freedom is for people that are not really willing to pretend to be something or do something they're not. And boy, when you do that, Jan, that just doesn't feel good. It hurts, doesn't it? hmm Um, the hundredth monkey I want to talk about because you talk about a small story that turned your life upside down. We all have them. We have them. Um, I've been reflecting on them more than once, but there's a gift in some of these life-changing events, aren't there? even oh, if they're painful.
2: Heavens. Yes. Especially if they're painful.
1: Let's talk about this one. And the reason I'm really struck by it is because uh, one of the dates you reference in the book is Linda my best friend's birthday, and so I glommed on to that September 20th. And you know, and there are so many things that I think about that we could see as setbacks that would cause us to lose hope. What have you discovered about overcoming obstacles and challenges?
2: Boy, that's a good one. You know, I think a lot. I think a a lot of people who, you know, I teach around the country, right? So I always have groups of 40, 50 people in front of me. The commonest thing, I think, is that people don't quite know how to find their path and they They sit there and they hear me talk and they have this story in their mind. Oh, she's so smart. She knows everything. She's the one lucky her unlucky me. And they can't figure out how if they want to do this, if they want to be a retreat director, if they want to write a book. It's the same formula. It's the same recipe. Take a look. At what has happened to you since your first memories. Now we already know you were about six or seven when you had your first tragedy occur, or maybe you were even younger, but age six, you know, and then all of us take some time to do this. You know, imagine your life as a spiral. You take a pencil. You start in the middle and you just go memories, the memories that our bodies hold, our cellular memories are big because those things happen to us at the invitation of our soul because we came here to be chiseled into a masterpiece. Chiseled doesn't feel good, right? But it's those turbulent experiences that cause us to know something that yours was in trouble because I'm in a conversation with invisible forces, right? Yeah. That should have been encouraged (laughs) in question. It should have been inquired into, but instead not because the culture It's not advanced and it's not evolved. But we, that's why I call, that's why I deal with evolutionary creativity. It's different than the creativity of the Renaissance. It's not just about creating a a thing. It's not just about creating a book. It's about creating a book that helps the whole human tribe better understand our trajectory. And so I try to tell everybody, if you do your own work like how can i write a memoir should i write a memoir and it's like i don't know do your spiral see <laughs> if you look at all right age six and then first holy communion and then your first love affair your first kiss the marriage the rape the violence the abuse whatever some of it's good good in bad terms that's duality again Some of it feels good and some of it doesn't, but it's all on your spiral. If you look at every one of those events and say, This took something from me and it gave something to me. And if you can tease out what it was, then you are ready to tell that story in whatever form. Used to be the only thing available to us to share our stories was books. But that's not the case. You have Transformation Talk Radio. You do it by talking live. You've got a team that supports you. Some I do it by making YouTube videos. I have a YouTube channel. People do it in all kinds of different ways. You could do poetry reading, turn it into whatever you want. But the first step is taking a look at everything that happened to you and how did you process it? Because it happened for you and it happened through you. And I think the biggest story in the book, it took me 20 years to get over that obstacle of feeling bad about myself because I'm kicked out of the convent and excommunicated from my church. Yep. I can't heal myself, can't heal myself. 20 years, talk therapy, therapy, all kind. you know, get a letter from my convent saying, why did you actually do this to me? Finally, I went to talk to the nun who was the, you know, superior, uh, the director of the whole mother house, 400 sisters, and she was a head honcho. And she had rotated out of leadership was in my in living in Syracuse, New York, I went to see her. And it's because of that conversation, where I asked her, would you just let me tell you the story? And then maybe because you're witnessing it, it could help me reconcile or understand something new. And uh, she goes, yes, sister, I'll do that. I tell her the whole story from the age of 12, getting kicked out, not being able to get my heart fixed after that terrible rejection. And she asked two questions, would I forgive her for this terrible injustice on her watch? Yes, I do forgive you. Would I forgive the entire community, Sisters of St. Joseph of Corona? Yes, I forgive the entire community. And then some kind of magic happened like a bolt of lightning. And my whole thinking about it got shifted, where it occurred to me, oh, my God, I should be thanking them for the privilege of two years of a monastic experience. They were smart enough to know I didn't belong there. I'm no kind of nun. That's very clear. And then they let me go but they let me come in and get my spiritual underpinnings find my spiritual teachers understand community nor the formula for bliss which is equal parts in my day of work prayer solitude and community so get all that figured out and then they can let me go and so then i then i realized oh my god this is the other side of the story mm. they it wasn't a country western tune anymore about how they done me wrong it was like I'm so thankful for you for that opportunity Mm because imagine the privilege of spending two years in a monastery and then driving home I have this other discovery which is I saw every juncture where I made decisions in that novitiate that would get me kicked out I did kiss sister so-and-so. I did slip into her bedroom. I did smoke cigarettes in the woods. I did steal wine, right? So that's how I know now. Life just doesn't happen to us. It happens through us and it happens for us. And so you look at your stories and figure out that and you can sit in the winner's seat.
1: Yeah, I love that you share that because I think that's one of
2: the greatest discoveries that
1: we can make is to understand that we are active players in our lives. Yeah, good, bad, ugly, whatever it looks like, whatever you want to call it. We are the active player in our lives. You know, I used to talk about my job loss from the phone as oh, I lost my job. Now, when I look back is I created the scenario to leave there because I was meant to leave there. I was never meant to retire from that place. That was not going to be my life's path. And if I needed to be, you know, that, you know what, crazy to get downsized after I was the person in charge of the program, that was by my doing. I also realized too, you know, as I continue to read read through your book, um, you then you talk about this journey leading towards, you know, a pilgrimage with the heart chakra, but also a way to find the balance of things. Uh, and the harmony of things. And so often, there's a confusion. And I want to talk with you about that in the time we have left. There's a confusion between seeking peace and harmony and hanging up your activism swords. And so that's what I thought for a number of years. I thought, okay, grew up as an activist. My stepmom, I got to tell you, she was the lifesaver for me. She was like this. She was my Southern Baptist. Young, first child, 12, second child, 13, fireball. And there was no way you were going to tell her Mother Superior was going to tell her before she became my stepmom. That it was wrong for me to talk to whoever I wanted to talk to. Right. But there's a muscle that gets built from these challenges and these obstacles. And when you you come out and you write a story like this, you know, people ask interesting questions. I don't have a question about why you call yourself a queer mystic. I don't have that question, but I bet a lot of people do. I bet bet a lot of people want to know from you why this is important to you. I know why it's important to you because I know the journey that this takes. But for yourself now, there's a whole lot of healing. We got to figure out how to get on here. And if we don't start that healing within ourselves, as my mama used to say, it's going to be a sad day in hell. What would you say as we we kind of move forward here? What would you say to people that have yet to find the power of their heart chakra?
2: Well, first off, however we are, however we are, period, is perfect, that we're an expression. I I think of, you know, Teilhard Aishanen talked about the materialization of the divine, the divinization of matter, right? So that cycle is going on all the time. I think of, you know how energy, there's only energy, and it takes two forms. It's either a wave or it's a particle. When it's a wave, you can't see it. When it's a particle you can because it's material. And so I'm the particle version of the divine wave. When you see it, it's us, it's earth. It's, it's the cosmos is the breath of God, right? And I think of it, I think of God as supreme intelligence. And I think of the mother as supreme love. And intelligence and love got married and had a baby, and that's the cosmos. And we're the baby. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot do anything really that's gonna trip that up. By default, we are divine beings, right? The only thing is, and you referred to this earlier, is letting other just other people dissuade us from doing. The real right thing, you know, no parent wants their kid to be gay because their thought is, uh oh, they're in danger. Everybody knows gays are in danger. That's what it's about. It's not so much about, oh, I think it's it's very knee jerk. Oh, no, the world's not a safe place for my kid. So do let this be a phase, Jan quick through this phase quick and hurry up and get married, right? Because I want you safe. It's well-intentioned. But if anybody tries to discourage you from the path you want to go on, you know, I even asked the nun, the woman who I was lovers with in our adult lives and lived with for five years, she was my high school English teacher. Nothing ever happened when I was a teen, but mm-hmm. I. she taught me and I said, I'm going into the convent. Will you be my sponsor? And she said, no, you don't want to go into the convent because it'll kill you. They'll break your spirit. It's not the place for you. She knew better than I did, but I was like, no, no matter what you say, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And if you don't be my sponsor, I'll find someone who does. So I was headstrong at that early age, because my whole agenda was save kids' lives, right? And so that nun tried really hard. If I had had a weak moment or for whatever reasons thinking somebody else knows better about my life than me, I would have said, all right, maybe I'll be a nurse or a teacher, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. no. And so it's important for all of us, particularly women, to figure out what we love to do and then learn to do that well and then do it in the service of the people yeah and so that's the invitation to all of us we came here to be great we came here to be a light in the world and so if you are of the opinion that you're not the light in the world that you want to be it's probably because you've accumulated so much debris from other people's bad thoughts. It's what I talk about in my TED talk, right? And I and it's like this, we're all born like 100 watt bulbs. We're all the same illumination. But what happens is as we go through time, we accept other people's ideas for us And it comes like dirt and debris and covers our bulbs. So you get some in in fifth grade being like 40 watts. Everybody knows what it's like to have lunch with a 10 watt person. You you pretty much unfriended them by now because we don't have time. (laughs) We don't have time for people who are not bright and strong and courageous. So What we have to do is figure out how do I separate myself from those inherited thoughts that hurt me and that are harmful and that come from outside of me? How do I stop thinking those thoughts? And that's a process. And some people may need therapy. Some people just might need to read my books because every one of my books is about that. I have Divining the Body, How to Stop Hating Your Body, how to figure out why it's important to make a commitment to your creativity. So there's always an answer. You know, Jan, first of all, thank you for joining us
1: here today. Um, And by the way, please let folks know how they can get a copy of this book, how they can get a copy of the other books, and also about your foundation. Um, And thank you so much for reminding us, reminding all of us, of what it really, really means to choose a pathway of freedom, even if sometimes it doesn't look like we're gonna get there. So please tell us how to find out more about you, where you're gonna be, what you're up to, and how to get a copy of the
2: book. Well, I I would say first, just go to janphillips.com and put your name on my mailing list. Just your, it's an email mailing list and you'll hear from me. Every Sunday morning I send out in honor of Emily Dickinson, Mm -hmm. bulletins from immortality short little thing every every sunday morning to support you and cheer you on in your um becoming your authentic self and then um you'll be in my circle and then i send out once a month a newsletter saying this is where i'm going to be like i'm going to seattle in the spring i had a whole book tour plan which i just canceled because of covid but um i say I'm doing retreats here in the Midwest, here in Massachusetts, so you'll be, if wherever you live, you'll know when I'm coming to your community. And then we can, who knows, meet for lunch or pizza and a beer. I love it.
1: Jan, thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much for reminding us we have the fire within. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'd love to know your personal message. I'd love to know what you'd like to leave us with today.
2: Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, they should have
1: warned can, you about me.
2: People can keep <laughs> reading books, but people don't have to. Because the next book I'm doing, is called Stop Seeking, Start Finding. Because whatever you're looking for, It's right in here. It's right inside. It's right on the other side of your T-shirt, right? It's in your flesh and bones. So figure out how to harvest the field of your own dreams. Look inside, see what you know. You might need a thought partner for this. Yeah. You know, it might help to call, maybe call a book club, read this book together. But human interaction with other women is really important because the the wisdom is within us, but we need to hear ourselves articulate it in order to know what we're thinking. I maybe introverts can figure that out, but I can't f- ever know what I'm thinking until somebody asks me. So yeah, I, I, to be part of circles of support. Get on my mailing list and I'll see you when I come to your
1: community. Yeah, I just did. And by the way, I'm an extreme introvert And no, we don't get it either. (laughs) No, we, even as extreme of an introvert as I am, witnessing is important.